close out chapter 18 today. This is the trial before the Roman government now that Jesus is. And John picks it up more than anybody else of how Jesus deals with Pilate. The Bible reads this way, John chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him according to your law. And the Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore, Pilate entered into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priests deliver you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that, you, so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him. But you have a custom that I would release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again saying, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. You may be seated. Father in heaven, we stand before a passage, Lord, that is earth shaking to us. It is very difficult for us to get our minds around what is going on here, Lord. The sinless Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, the internal, eternal God incarnate is being judged by sinners. And Lord, he knows fully what's going on. And he is working his way to a cross so that we, your children, could sit here today and know you, Father. And Lord, what they put our Savior through is overwhelming at times. But Father, we must not lose focus to remember that it is the cross and all that it brings is what Jesus must do. He must go to the cross. He must bring forgiveness to those who would believe. He must redeem us. He must purchase us back. He must cause us to be now righteous and blameless before the Father so we can share eternity. Lord, let us not lose track of what all is taking place here. We thank you for this text. Pierce it on our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We took an eight-week hiatus to 
teach on the church, which I think was very healthy for us, um, good for us to understand what we're a part of. But what we're a part of is what's taking place right in these passages. Jesus is on his way to the cross so we could be part of something much greater. You know, as you remember back, he has just the previous night spent the evening with his disciples. He had first communion with them, broke bread, telling them he was going to be the Passover lamb. They went from there and they went into the garden and there prayed. Jesus did. The others fell asleep. And he began to speak very clearly of what he was going to go through and what he would accomplish on the cross and how he would bring all those who believed into this oneness relationship with God. His act on the cross would bring us into a oneness with the Father. Let, let them be one like we are, he says. Judas has already left the group. He's moving about the city, gathering men and soldiers, both Roman and temple police, to come and betray Jesus in the garden. He does it with a kiss. Jesus speaks, they all fall down, and yet they arrest him. Disciples flee, Jesus stands alone in front of Caiaphas. He is judged and mocked in an illegal Jewish trial at nighttime. And by the time we get to this text, he's now handed over to Pilate. There is no one with him. Peter has denied him and is weeping bitterly. Judas will soon hang himself. The other disciples are scattered. Our Lord stands alone in front of a Roman governor. A man that has no need for Jesus. It is a sobering passage when you look at this. He stands for our account He is not a sinner. He is free from sin. He is holy in every aspect of his life. Yet he is judged like a common criminal. You'll see in this passage there's great hatred towards Christ. You say, how do you get there? Even if you don't want to believe in him, how do you hate a man who did such wonderful things? He healed so many The book of Mark accounts places where it cannot account for how many he healed. It just says he healed all that were there that day. Cast out demons. Healed family members. Healed little boys and girls. Preached the gospel to a lost people. But the hatred builds. And so you have to ask yourself the question that's in the title here. The crucifixion crucifixion of Christ God's plan or man's? Man thinks he's in control. As you study this, you you think they're in the control. Pilate thinks he has everything under control. The Jews think they're doing what's right and they are controlling this situation. They're manipulating Pilate in some ways. But as we see, Jesus says, look, I'm a king. And my kingdom's not of this world. And if it was, you better look out. He's in absolute control, and he's still majestic. I don't want you to miss that today. I don't want you to miss that as we work the next few weeks to the resurrection on Easter Sunday. Don't miss how majestic and glorious he is, even in his 
illegal judgment and his beatings and all of those things, he is absolutely majestic and glorious how he deals with this. This is the difference between a world who goes and sees a movie and says, oh, that was so unfair to believers who say he is so glorious. He is so beautiful. He's everything to me. That's what we don't want to miss as we go through these passages. This is not just a history lesson today. This is our life. We do not have life without this. We need Jesus to suffer for us. Look with me as we look down through this text. First, we we see that Pilate questions this Jewish prosecution that comes in the verses 28 through 32. Notice in verse 28 here that he is brought to the praetorium. He's brought to this place where a Gentile governor reigns and rules. He's taken from Caiaphas, that, that mocking and beating and pseudo court that took place illegal at night has now left there and it's early, early in the morning. And they find themselves at the praetorium and notice that they come there in middle of 28 says they, the Jews themselves, did not enter into the praetorium so they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. Well, John here is showing some irony, I believe. He's clearly depicting that here are these Jews who hate Romans. Don't miss that. They hate the Romans. They hate them. They have insurrectionists among them. Terrorists that would go along and kill Roman soldiers. And they're about ready to release one at the end of this passage. But notice the irony that John brings out. They themselves come to this Roman governor who they hate in order to condemn Jesus, but they they have such little respect for the Gentile world that they won't even enter their homes unless they be defiled. And you say, well, what is that about? Well, their power and position is, is far more important than truth. And so in the Mishnah, these traditions that were written down, extra biblical material that is not of the scriptures or of the law of Moses, the Jews were not permitted to enter a Gentile's house. And you know why they did that? They thought, well, they're trying to be separate, like God said separate. And that's not why. They believed that Gentiles aborted their babies and flushed them down drains that most likely took place. And if they went in, they would be unclean, and thus they couldn't go to temple or be involved in certain things for seven days. And so they decided not to go into Gentile's house. Now think about this. The Passover is this day. And the Bible says that they didn't want to go in there because they'd be defiled, and they would not be able to eat the Passover. That would take them out for seven days. They would be unclean. They want to kill the Lamb of God so they can have a physical Passover. Do you see what John's doing? He's using irony to help you understand how foolish and lost a man can get when he is a full-blown legalist of how he comes to God. It's amazing. So here are these Jewish people wanting the Romans to do what they know the Bible says not to do, thou shalt not kill. They won't go in because they'll be unclean. And what happens? If they're unclean, they miss the Passover. They cannot do Passover that night. So the, 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 the Jewish law had an alternative Passover 20 days later. And if you were unclean during the Passover, you could do the second, it's called the second Passover 20 days later. 
Now, no upstanding religious Jew would want to miss the first Passover because that means you were somewhere where you shouldn't have been on the first one. Now, it was given a a very good reason why there was a second Passover. If on Thursday before Passover, your grandfather died and you were in the home and you wanted to be there when your grandfather died, the Bible said in the law that if you're in the home of when somebody dies, you'll be unclean and there's a certain amount of days of purification. So it was an honest, good thing. 20 days later, you would have Passover. But if you were a religious leader... Oh, you would be with these other people that couldn't be clean for the Passover as the last thing they wanted. Do you see where legalism is so dangerous? So dangerous. It blinds them from the need of a savior. Notice these Jews are seeking to kill him, aren't they? That's clear in the text. Exodus 20, 13 of their own law. In the Ten Commandments, so thou shalt not murder They're trying to do that. They're trying to get somebody else to do it for them. But yet they won't even go into a governor's house. We want to kill this guy, but hey, we don't want to be unclean, so we're not going to go in your house, so you have to come out to us. How ironic this behavior is. Legalism robs you from seeing God. It doesn't please God in any way. Though you may think you're being separate from pagans, so often when people move down this trail, their humility is gone. There is no worship that comes from this sort of behavior and they remain in spiritual blindness, absolutely blind. And and remember, they didn't like the way Jesus conducted himself on earth. Look at Luke chapter five with me real quick. 529. This is the calling of Levi or or Matthew. He was a tax collector. This calls him to be one of his disciples and follows him. So Levi responds with this big reception, this banquet, this party at his house in verse 29. And Levi gave a big reception for him and his house. And there was a great cloud of tax collectors and other people who were reclining at the table. Verse 30, and the Pharisees and scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? What Jesus says. Jesus answered and said to them, he knows, they're talking to Peter, James, and John, they're talking to these guys over here, but Jesus knows their thought, He's, he's God, he's omniscient, he knows all things. He says to those who are well, I don't come to them, the well people don't need a physician. But those who are sick, that's who I'm coming to. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So don't take that as the Pharisees are righteous. He's, again, ironically showing that when you think that you are righteous, I haven't come to you, because you'll never see me. You'll never see a need. Do you go to the doctor for no reason? Hey, I'd like to make an appointment today. Well, what's it for? Oh, no, I got nothing. I just haven't seen him for a little while. Thought I'd come in. You don't need the doctor? No, no, I don't need him. Just want to have a checkup. You see, we don't do that. Usually we wait to where there's a problem or we have a scheduled checkup. If you're sick, you need what? You need a doctor. You need someone who studied medicine to help you and help you get better. And that's what Jesus is doing here. These Pharisees, these religious rulers, many of the Jews did not need a savior. 
And we've, we've seen that all the way through the book of John. Look at chapter 15 of Luke, verse 1. This is good news. I love this passage. I think hopefully this is still happening today. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him to listen to him. I love that verse. Sinners are coming to hear what Jesus has to say. That's a great thing, isn't it? I pray that's taking place today. Once the sinners here have gathered to hear what Jesus has to say today, what the word of God has to say today. Look at verse two. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. See, that's what legalism does. Makes you a very unhappy person. Because you have to judge everything. You're just constantly judging everybody. You're constantly, you are the police, the righteous police. So you're a miserable person that has no joy because your job is to check out everything and make sure that it flies at your standard. And you're not a very friend person to live with. Notice they're grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told him a parable. I'm looking for lost sheep. That's what I do. And that was you and I. We were lost sheep at one time, and Jesus came looking for you, grabbed you and brought you into the full. You didn't just wander in and say, hey, there's a full, they look like they got room for me. You, you didn't care, you were lost. What do you not get about lost? You're lost. And he comes and gets you and brings you in. But notice who he comes. He comes after the lost ones. Not the ones who won't ask directions. I've got it all figured out. Back to our text in John 18, verse 29. We start to see this relationship between Pilate and the Jewish prosecution take place. Verse 29, Pilate, he went out to them and, and he says to them, what accusation, what charges do you bring against this man? This is, this is due process. This is Pilate looking for formal and legal charges. What do you have against this man? Do you have anything? You got me up this morning. You've not, you won't come into my home. You're making me come out here. What's your charges? Isn't it interesting how they respond? Verse 30. They, said, they answered and said to him, if this man were not, do, were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. It, did I miss this or did they not answer the question? Notice, they do not answer. They, they do not clarify any legal case or formal charges that would stand up in a court or particularly a Roman court of law, the Jews simply imply that, look, you need to trust us. We wouldn't bring some non-bad guy to you. Just trust us. Look, we're the standard. You just have to believe us. So legalism does. Don't stand on biblical truth. We have a standard. He's not meet it. We're going to bring him to you. You You do what we want you to do. Notice the word delivered. I don't know if your translation has this. I don't think most of the translations deliver this. But it is the same word that we use for betrayal. And literally could be read this way. If, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have betrayed him to you. Remember, he's a Jew. He's born of Joseph and Mary. He's in the line of David. He's in the kingly line. 
They are betraying one of their own in front of the people they hate in order to have him put to death. Verse 31, so Pilate says, take him yourself. Judge him according to your own law. And the Jews said to him, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. Well, hold on now. The Romans were, the Romans, you don't want to say they were kind, but they allowed the nations that were captive to them to manage their own people. It was a common practice in most of the world. And Rome had did a fairly good job. They watched out for insurrectionists and, and mounts. They'd seen, Israel, they'd seen the nation of Israel 400 times mount fights against them. So he wants to check out and see if Jesus is one of these types that's going to mount a military um, coup against them. And so they let the Jews pretty much take care of themselves. But deceit is deep here. Notice this, what happens. It said, he, they say to him, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. Whoa, wait a minute here. Listen to John chapter 8, verse 58 and 59. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I'm eternal. I've always been around. I'm God, is what he is saying. I am Yahweh. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself. Well, wait a minute. Here you can kill him, right? Here you have the right to, to take a life, to murder this man. But now in front of Pilate, you don't? I mean, this counts all through the scriptures. John chapter 10, verse 29 through 31. The Father, the Father has given them to me. He is greater than all. No one will snatch them out of my hand, out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones and tried to kill him. John chapter 11, verse 8. The disciples knew they were doing this. They said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just trying to stone you, and now you're going back there again? See, it's, it's common knowledge. They were trying to kill Jesus, trying to kill him over and over and over again. John eleven fifty three, So from that day on, these leaders, this Jewish people, these ones that are standing before Pilate, they plan to kill him. And, and if that isn't enough, you can go past the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and get to the Stephen. Do you remember him? Stephen's preaching the gospel, trying to call people to repentance. They get so mad because he brings Jesus Christ to the front that he's the only way to the Father. They pick up stones and what do they do to Stephen? Where was Pilate then? Where was all this legal mumble jumble that we can't do this? They killed Stephen, they stoned him. So you see the hypocrisy of the legalist here in this passage. We're not permitted to kill him. But see, notice the fulfillment of the scriptures, verse 32. To the fulfillment of the word of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. This verse is chilling to me. See, Jesus knew he would never be stoned. They weren't going to stone him to death. He escaped every time. They he would not ever be stoned, killed that way. He knew he would not die by the sword. Though many probably would have liked to kill him that way, just like they killed many of the prophets before him. He knew he was going to hang on a tree. See, he knew this. Galatians chapter 3, turn with me there very quickly. Galatians 3, verse 13. Paul exposes this in the gospel. And it's right during this whole uh, argument that Paul is posing to the Galatian churches that you can't be saved through the law. 
Verse 11, chapter three, verse 11. Now that no one is justified, declared righteous by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. So there's, there's a, our, our righteousness, the righteousness that we have is given to us by God, which drives, which empowers the faith that we have. But notice that the verse go on, verse 12. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. They're not living by them in John 18. They're not believing what they're actually teaching. But look at verse 13. This is the key. This is what Christ is on his way. This is why John accounts that Jesus himself spoke of these things. And, we, and we'll look at some of that in a second. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And this is what Jesus said all throughout his ministry. John 3, 14 and 15. As Moses was lifted up, up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, um, Numbers 11, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes on him will have eternal life. John chapter 8, verse 28, so Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Over and over, look at John 12 real quick. Look back with me, you gotta see this passage. See, Jesus was, he knew how he was gonna die. He, he didn't have to go, well, Father, I know you've sent me here to die to be the Lamb of God, to die for the sins of, of those who would believe, but I don't know how you're going to do this. He absolutely knew how. He knew he'd be lifted up. John chapter 12, verse 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. And the crowd then answered him, we heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. Hey, you, you say you're the Messiah. We just come build your kingdom. You're supposed to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? See, they did not understand a need for a Savior and that his plan was to die on a cross. Back to our text in John 18, the Tension shifts now. Pilate leaves this hypocritical, legalistic group outside, and he goes back in to where Jesus is. And, and, and remember, they had no problem sending Jesus into the home of a Gentile, but they themselves would not go. So in actuality, they're pushing him to do what they know is wrong to go into a Gentile home. Just interesting to think through that. Notice in verse 33. Therefore, Pilate enters again into the praetorium and summons Jesus and says to him, are you the king of the Jews? The word you here is emphatic. And it's important to understand, it's, not, it's written in a way that Pilate now wants to discover what kind of king are you? In other words, Pilate was incredulous. He's, he's disbelieving. He's trying to figure out a couple things. Pilate is expecting a king of the Jews to be a revolutionist. Where's your army? Are you planning to try to overthrow me? See, he, he's coming with this. His, this you is emphatic. Are you really the king of the Jews? Are you ready to mount something? Or are you something different? Most likely, one glance, Pilate discerned that Jesus probably was not that kind of king. He's very quiet. He's fulfilling Isaiah 53. He's like a lamb led to slaughter. He is not defending himself. He's clearly already beat up by these people. He's forced into a Gentile home. 
He knows all these things. And, and as he looks at Jesus, he begins to realize he's probably not this revolutionary king. He is some kind of king, and I want to know. Verse 34, Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? In other words, Jesus turns the question around to Pilate and says, are you being coached by others? Is somebody saying things about me? Do you know who I am? See, Jesus is trying to expose what kind of question Pilate has coming. Pilate is looking, are you a political king that I'm gonna have to deal with like so many before you? Are you conspiring against Rome? Are you this messianic king the Jews have been waiting for? Verse 35, Pilate answers, I mean, excuse me, uh, Pilate answered, I am not a Jew. He's responding to Jesus' remark of whether he's being coached or not. I am not a Jew, am I? He's getting a little indignant here. It's early in the morning, most likely he didn't want to be up and having to deal with this. Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? So you got to remember the scene here. It's Passover. There's probably a million Jews in Jerusalem. Pilate doesn't like this weekend. Extra staff on, extra guards and soldiers. You've got to keep track of things. We've got all these people in town. Some of you understand this when you're trying to crowd control. Pilate's not happy about this whole situation. And he says, look, I'm not a Jew. I don't get what you people are about. But here's what I know. Your own nation and your chief, uh, chief priest have delivered you over to me and simply asked, what have you done? And again, the same word, they're betraying you. Why are they betraying you? The amazing answer comes from our Lord. Verse 36 I, is, a, is a, a massive passage, and I, and I want to just cover it briefly because of time, but something to spend a lot of time thinking about. Jesus answers, he doesn't say, yeah. No, this is what he says. My kingdom is not of this world cosmos. Earthly dwelling where people live, breathe, born, die, eat, sleep, have government. I'm not of that. I'm not of that world. That's what you do, Pilate. You're of that world. That's what he's saying. If my kingdom were of this world... Say, this is where I was from, and this is who I really am. Then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. You wouldn't have a chance if I was from here. You think you could do with me as you please? Reminded so often when you read the power of God to send one angel to destroy 185,000 people who mounted war against Israel. Do you think Pilate would have a chance? What are you going to do, Pilate? Call a few guards? No. No, if I was of this world, there would be a different way. But I am not. Notice he says, but, this isn't, but as it is, my kingdom is not, and then he changes words here, not of this, some of your Bible say realm or say from here. It's a unique word. It's not used very often, but it's this idea of I, you, you can't put your finger on me. I don't come even from another world or another universe. I come from something that controls all of those things. You, you, you're barking up the wrong tree, Pilate. I'm not of this world. I'm of a different place than you. 
I come from heaven. I come from the Father. I have spent eternity in perfect holiness. Angels that worship in our presence, that cry out, holy, holy, holy. You don't know what realm I'm from. It's, it's an amazing statement. It's worth spending time and just thinking about what was transpiring here. It makes you help you kind of think through some things. The world tries to think of these whole big issues that are going on out there. We try to solve them from worldly principles. As though God is not in control. You know, we used to sing a song when we were kids that we would sing about God, that he has the whole world in his hands. It's a pretty good thought. You know, your job, your family, struggles, it's all right there. And all the universes that they keep now discovering how big of creation God has made, all sits in the hand of God. And here is the creator of all of that before a finite man. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing Jesus doesn't say enough. And wipe out the whole entire world and send us all to hell. See, he's got a goal though. He was signifying of what kind of death he was headed for. And no man could change that of him. Verse 37, the first part of it says this, therefore Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Look, he's just after an answer. I gotta deal with this, I wanna get this done. He's not concerned deeply with Jesus or these Jews. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I'm a king. Now look at this. For this I've been born, I came into this world for this, for this, I've come into the world, look, to, and what did he do? Not, not only, not, he qualifies it, and this is for people who think that Jesus was born, that he was purely human, but he qualifies it. I was brought in, we know he had a virgin birth, came in to the world, but notice he also came into the world, it says. So that qualifies that he was before the birth, he was before the world, he came into the world, he is God, and his job is to testify to the truth, see the article there, not a truth or some truth, to the truth. That's what he's here to do. And he makes a statement here at the end of verse 37, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Have you heard that before? John 10, my sheep what? Hear my voice and follow me. So that's the difference. You say, why Scott, when I share the gospel with somebody, they don't want it, they don't go, they don't hear Jesus yet. So this is why it's a sovereign, providential, amazing event when people get saved because God opens their ears, they hear the truth, they hear the need for Jesus and they follow him. And that happened to you. What day was that 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 happened? What period of time in your life when you heard him and you say, I need that savior, I need that shepherd, I wanna follow him. When was that? Are you still running after him? See, this is amazing gospel presentation here. They hear the truth because what? Jesus is the way, the life and the truth. You can't get to the Father without me. B, truth is the entrance to the kingdom of God. We've 
discuss this. He says, look, I'm here to bear witness. The word here is to testify, to bear witness to it. I didn't come to build your kingdoms and make you feel good about your self-righteousness or who you are. I am here to bring the truth to save man. And if you believe Jesus is the truth, this is an amazing statement. But if you don't, you're like, Pete, you're like Pilate. Look at what he says in the beginning of verse 38. Look at his response. Pilate says to him, what is truth? See, there was no absolutes then either. This man was trained both academically, militarily. This is probably one of the wiser men in the Roman governments. And he can't figure out what truth is. What is truth? This is where you land when you don't hear Jesus, when you don't follow him. This is where you land. You land as a person that doesn't understand truth and you die in your sins because you didn't know the truth. You rejected it. You couldn't hear it. And this is what happens to the world. Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed against heaven, against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You want to go to hell, suppress the truth of Jesus. You want people around you to go to hell? Don't speak of Jesus. Suppress it. Choose godless, wicked things, and you and everybody around you will depart for eternity. John says, if you say we have no sin, you are deceiving yourself, and that truth, the truth is not in us. But Jesus said, I am the truth, and I will set you free. That truth will set you free. John 17, 17, sanctify them, Father, in the truth. Your word is truth. And Jesus says, I am the only truth, and if you don't come to me, you don't get to the Father. I'm here to be the truth for you. And then as we close this out, look at the last part that goes on here. Look at truth, how it was how it was mishandled. And, and, and look, you kind of look at verse 38. He says, and when he said this, he went out again to the Jews and he said to him, I find no fault in him. But he says that also in verse four of chapter 19. At the end of verse four, I find no guilt in him. Verse six, I find no guilt in him. Three times right here, he says, this man's innocent. He's innocent and innocent, but truth does not change Pilate. See, there's lots of people here who are truth. Oh, yeah, I, I kind of believe that. It doesn't change him. He, he, and we'll see next week, it doesn't change him at all. The next thing you know, they're twisting crowns of thorns, his own shoulder, soldiers, and they're, and they're beating into his head and mocking him and, and, and mocking him as in a false worship. It doesn't change him. He didn't have ears to hear. But let me close with this last point here, and we'll pick this up more. A whole sermon could be written on verses 39 and 40. Ron and I talked about this little passage before. But you have, you have a custom, he says, that I release some to you at Passover. Do you wish then I release for you the king of the Jews? He is not a threat to me. You are mis, you've misrepresented this man to me. I'm just going to release him. That's what he's saying, isn't it? I have this custom. I've grant you guys a prisoner. I got tons of them here. The insurrectionists were always at work and they were always arresting people and they were always crucifying people. Some, Josephus said there were some 3,000 crucifixions before the time of Christ's death. 
But I'm going to release one to you. I think you want the king of the Jews. He's not a threat. You've mislabeled this guy. Look at verse 40. So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber, the Bible says here. So something to think about here in closing. Barabbas and substitutionary death is the point here. In order to have substitutionary death, you first need someone who is innocent. 38, 19, 4, and 6, he's claimed innocent. We know him to be already, but he is publicly proclaimed to be free of guilt, free of any wrongdoing. He's an innocent person. So there's one aspect to substitutionary death that you need to have. Verse 40 says that Barabbas was a robber. He's a thief. In fact, the other gospels accounted a little more. They say he's a notorious prisoner, Matthew 27, 16, called Barabbas. Mark 15, 7 says Barabbas was imprisoned with insurrectionists who had committed murder in insurrection. And Luke reports that Barabbas was imprisoned for murder. So Christians, you know, and people love to have, you know, big lists. This is probably one of them. Killing people is a little different from taking a candy bar from somebody loving. So people think. So now you have an innocent person and you have a known sinner. And guess what happens? Barabbas is set free and Jesus dies in his place. It's an amazing thing. Now I don't know if Barabbas ever comes to know Jesus. But Webster says this about substitution. It says a person replaces another or to put in place of another. That's what substitutionary is. So in the theological world, we call this substitutionary death. Someone deserves to die. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, so we know that. We are taken off that position of death. We deserve that death because we've all sinned. And Jesus stands there, takes that, hangs in our place, that substitutionary death. And without knowing it, I don't think Barabbas said, well, that was substitutionary death. He just went home and said, you're not going to happen, man. I, I think I'm heading for a cross, and the next thing I know, there's people yelling for me to be free. And meanwhile, the innocent one is heading to the cross. And this is taught all through Scripture. Substitutionary death is something you and I need to constantly keep our mind around. What it literally means, it's tied with the doctrine of imputation, is, is that if I'm here and I deserve death because I'm a sinner and Jesus is here, our sins from us are imputed, imputation to Jesus. And his righteousness is imputed to us so we can stand in the Father's presence for all of eternity. That's substitutionary death, imputation of sin and righteousness. You need to know those words. Those are key to what we believe as believers in Jesus Christ. We would not stand here without it. We need it. Substitutionary death was taught. Even, even their own Jews said in, in John eleven fifty, Caiaphas said this, it is expedient for you and, and for one man to die for the people that the whole nation not perish. He was speaking of Jesus. Let's kill him instead of the nation going down underneath Rome. John the Baptist said this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, 6, each of us had turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him, substitutionary death. Isaiah 53, 8, he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. It was due to us, not, not Jesus. Isaiah 53, 12, 
He himself bore the sins of many and interceded for the transgressor. That's the willful sinner who steps across the line of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become righteousness of God in him. That's us. And Barabbas is a picture of us. We deserve to die on that cross. Barabbas killed men, he robbed, he was a thief, he broke everything ever God ever spoke of, and yet he is free because Jesus was judged in his place. When you and I, when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are like that Barabbas. We don't deserve it. We deserve the cross, we deserve the death and all of its judgment, and all hell's fury with it. But Jesus saves us from that. See, that's salvation. That's why we believe in Christ alone, not Christ plus this or plus that, and I'm a good person and I believe in Jesus. No, you're not. Get that out of our heads. There are none good, none righteous. No, not one, the Bible says. On your best, best day, you fall short. And you know what? Once you get there, and once you accept Jesus, you accept God with all the things that go on in our life that we don't understand, but you just, by faith, believe in him, you finally get free. And that huge weight that you're carrying is lifted off of you. First Peter says this, and I'll end with this. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we are healed. I love Barabbas. I'll never look at Barabbas the same again. I might change my middle name. <laughs> you think about it, how beautiful it is. Father, these are stunning events, Lord. I can't get over the fact that here our creator of all that we have is being judged by wicked men. This whole account that we're looking at, there's only one who's right, there's only one who's righteous, there's only one free of sin in the whole bunch. And he sits there quietly as he's judged by wicked men. The condemned go free and he goes on to die. But Lord, there was no other way there was no other hope. We had, we had no other way, Lord. We could not be good enough. We couldn't keep some list to make us better and right before God. The law just condemned us. We couldn't keep it. We, we're human and sinners, Lord. And so, Lord, here comes Jesus. The Bible says at the right time, born of a woman, born under the law, Lord, to rescue man, to redeem us from the pit. So Lord, we are so grateful for Jesus this morning. Father, as we go through these last few chapters of John, Lord, break us as a church, Lord, as individuals. Break us of pride and any legalism that needs to be burned out of us, Lord. May we sing songs that remind us of who you are, Jesus, and how much we are in need of you. And how grateful we are of what you did, Lord. May our hearts be pierced with truth. We give you praise for this this morning, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for standing in our place. 
in your name. Amen.